This is Eat, Sleep, Invest, the marketing podcast for real estate investors to get more deals. Hey, welcome back everyone to another episode of Eat, Sleep, and Invest. I'm your host, Brian Driscoll. I'm here with Stratton Brown. What's going on, man? Hey, man. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for coming, dude. So, Strat, you got a pretty interesting background. You did some football, right? Yeah. Yeah, what'd you do? Do you do pro football or something? I tried out for the Seahawks. Um, I was all-conference at Fresno State. Um, played safety there. I played on USA's junior national rugby team in high school. Um, got a scholarship in three different sports coming out of high school. So I'd say I did a lot of athletics in the beginning. Okay, yeah. So so, so you, you go to this sport. So how'd that work trying out for the uh, pros? My senior year, I hurt my neck pretty bad. And then I had a, what's called a sports hernia. And so my abs, abductors, and hamstrings all tore off my pelvis. And so I had to get a surgery in January where I had to get everything sewn back on. And then from there, I had to go run like three months later. And it's like a year-long recovery. And so that, w- that made it hard because I wasn't as fast as I usually was. But then like when I got there, it was crazy. Like it's, there are some freakish humans up there to where if I really wanted to try, like I could have played what I've been a pro bowler. That, that was a very, very long stretch. Now I would have had to do a lot of manifesting to increase my own athleticism somehow. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. Ripping all your muscles. Yeah, that, that had to kill was, you um, too when that was going on, huh? Yeah, so I, it happened my senior year to where like halfway through the year, I didn't really even practice. I'd just sit at the back and I'd watch and like, I'd just kind of like walk around and jog and like do walkthroughs and then I'd get a shot in my ass, take a couple pain pills on Saturdays. Um, but that's like how I would play because my neck hurt. I couldn't really like jog or run without like crying. Like it was bad. And so I, and I knew I did, couldn't get the surgery if I wanted to go to the NFL because I had to get like actual tape on. And so like, it was like a, between a rock and a hard place. And I, at the end of my year, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this without um, getting the surgery. I was like, I'll just go to the NFL without getting the surgery first. And then I was training for my pro day and like, I couldn't move. I was like, yeah, I got to get this done. Or it's like, this is never going to go away. And so I just got it um, when I was like a month into training because I couldn't do anything anymore. And then I had to rest for two months before I could move like an actually like jog or anything. And then I had like a month to train and get back up to speed to where when I got my surgery, a dude named Malik Hooker who went to the Colts, he was the number one safety in our class. He got it at the same time. And he didn't do anything until like the first game of the year. That's crazy. That messed you up mentally too? Or how was that? Like thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to go here and then I get hurt. And it's like, ah, it just got swiped from you. Yes and no. I'd say when you're done in athletics, you lose your identity would be the biggest thing. Right, because my entire life I've been a football player. Everyone's been telling me I'm going to the NFL since I was like nine years old or whatever. And so, like, that's where all of your like real world value is placed, and that's where all your skills are developed. And I'd say that's the one thing I hammer on people now is like, what skills are you developing to help you make more money or create the life you want? Because I spent my entire life up until 23 years old developing a skill that is legitimately worthless to me. Right, like I can't go in and like. I could go be a football coach, but that would suck. Like their jobs suck. They are grinding all the time. Entrepreneurs think they work hard. These football coaches go hard for like 80 grand a year, like sleeping in their offices, falling asleep at midnight, waking up at 5 a.m., doing the same thing over and over and over again, getting like a week off. Like, and so I was like, I don't want to do that. 
Yeah, and I, that, that is interesting too on the skill set. I never really thought about that. Yeah, because whatever skills you're crafting, is it, is it going to be usable down the road? Or can it be taken away real quick and just wasted? Exactly. And like, so I got a lot of really good interpersonal skills, um, interpersonal skills and like leadership skills. But as far as like everything I can do with my body and like football stuff and like I can break down plays. If I would have been doing entrepreneurship the same amount of time I was playing football, where would I be now? Like, and I mean, that's a really, really hard what if. But the amount of time I put into football to where it's 24-7 for, especially in college, it's 24-7 for like four years. If I was focused on sales or marketing during that point in time, like how far ahead would I be? Like, I mean, like you have like all of those thoughts. And one of my friends is a uh, industrial broker now. And like we talk about like those same things because he's doing really well as well. And I was like, bro, like, what if we didn't? play football like what if we went right into something 18 years old let alone some of my friends who've gotten into stuff at like 13 years old and like actually started learning about business doing business marketing sales operations like all that good stuff that it's a fun mind experiment yeah it is and then then you figure too though if you got into that maybe you didn't have the balls to push through like the things you learn while playing football just mentally and how to deal with stuff not necessarily the physical side but oh, yeah. how to, the gumption and all that kind of stuff could have taken you a whole different direction. Maybe you went to college and got a job instead. Um, you know I don't I mean? think I would have gotten a job. I'm awful at taking orders. I have, I probably have a massive ego issue. Um, yeah. But the number one thing, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, the number one thing football taught me is that I can work really hard at something and improve it. And it allowed me to like actually see that process of going from here to here. And I get to see the progression. And then I see that the hard work is actually giving me something in return to where a lot of people don't get to see that. Like a lot of people don't get to see like, okay, if I go do footwork for every day for a year, I will actually get two picks this year instead of zero because now I can get there like a second faster. Yeah. Right. Okay. To where it forced me to do that. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you're in football, right? How did you get into real estate? I, um, my senior year, I partied a lot. And so I was like, all right, I'm not going to be the dude who ends up on broke. Like I was partying my ass off. And so I started reading like Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, Dave Ramsey, whatever I could, bigger pockets, whatever I could get my hands on. I was like, okay, I want to live an amazing life and I want to party, but I need to be able to um, like invest my money. Like, I don't want to go broke. And if I'm going to have this much money, I need to do something with it. And so I started reading all those books and everything else. I go to NFL. Nothing happens. I come back broker than when I left. And I could have tried for another year when I was healthy, but then I was like, I just kind of want to start a career. And when I came home from Seattle, I was going to like a bunch of different meetups. And at that point in time, I spent like a summer getting certified to start a home inspection company. And so I started a home inspection company and I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to be my way in real estate. I'm going to make $100,000 a year. It's going to be awesome. Um, I like even did the math. Like I have to service this many clients. I got to do this many home inspections to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. And then I do one mock inspection. And I was like, fuck no, never again. Like I'm in a crawl space. It's awful. Right. Like you feel like you're going to get bit by a snake. And, um, when I was going to these meetups, I met a dude named Alan on Instagram is the show up investor at this point. I think he's buying like a house a day in Indiana. Um, and that's like for his rental portfolio. This is not wholesaling. Like he's just adding like a unit a day to his portfolio at least. That's crazy. And, right. And so I ended up working for him, running a lot of his day-to-day -day, like sales acquisitions and marketing. 
And at that point I was still in college and I was a single dad and, um, I couldn't take my son to school. I remember like having to go to school with like my son in a stroller. Cause at this point in time I was in California, my entire family's in Utah. So I didn't have any help besides like my friends and my friends are all college students too. And so I got to like take my infant son into the classroom and like I'd have to like push him in. Then I'd like take him notes or whatever and like pushing my stroller back and forth to make sure he's like, okay. And then it got to a point where I was like doing decent at the investment company. I was like, well, I got a job in an investment company. I was like, I'm doing what I wanted to do. I have a better job than people who are going to leave college right now and go get a job. And so I was like, well, I can take my son to work, but I can't take my son to school. And so that's like when I fully dived in with him and working with him. And the best thing I learned, I got an MBA in real estate because I was with the dude every day for like a year and a half, like learning everything. And I, most people I would say, and it was just commission only too. Like I wasn't getting like paid a salary. Like whatever deals like we could bring in, I'd get a piece, but it was nothing else besides learning from him. And I'd do it over again in a heartbeat. That's solid. How did you hook up with him? I met him at a meetup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, how did you get him to spend the time with you, though? Um, he, um, I called him after that home inspection. I was like, bro, what do you do? He was like, download an app called Property Radar and then go knock all the doors that are in pre-foreclosure. Call me when you get someone who wants to sell. And so I did that for a summer while my um, girlfriend was pregnant. She thought I was cheating on her because I'd wake up and I'd leave and then I'd come home when the sun went down and I just did it until I got someone who was like, yeah, I'll sell. This is my issue. And so that's yeah. how it gave me the time of day. Cause like I did it for three months and like, I would only, and I just called if I needed something. I was like, bro, like, I got, I did this, isn't this, um, Hey, this person's here. They're thinking about this. And then like, so like I just brought them value. And then like, I, I mean, I only made $1,500 per deal. Right. He was like, do this and I'll pay $1,500 for it and I'll show you everything. And it was the best thing I could have ever done. It's huge. Yeah. Most people, it's funny, like really successful people will help you, but you got to show that you're, you're legit and you're willing to, willing to do it. Like go and knocking on doors for him, you know? Oh yeah. And I mean that. And so once that, after that is when he like really gave me the time of day. And then after that, I was legitimately with him for like every day. Like there was not a day I wasn't with them. Like Sundays, Saturdays, we we'd be in the office. Like, hey, what are we gonna do new for marketing? We need to fix this here. I'm like, whatever it was. At a point in time, we built an in-house call center of eight people in his office, of like just hiring people off of Indeed. And I remember just being in, bringing in these wild ass people, bro. Like, I mean, because like we're trying to hire on people for minimum wage, and then like I had to like learn that. Like, okay, what's going on with the dialer? Like, how can we get these people motivated? Like, what are we gonna do? Blah blah blah. But um, bringing value to them was probably the biggest thing. And there was just me bringing them deals at the beginning. And then we kept working together. And then eventually I left on my own. Yeah. When did you leave on your own? How long was that? How long ago? Um, I want to say four years ago, three, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. What are you doing now? What are you doing the real estate side? Um, we own a couple of rentals. We wholesale. Right now we're pushing into storage. Um. We have a couple offers right now. And then we own a virtual assistant company called Call Magicians that helps real estate investors scale with all their virtual assistant needs. Yeah, Call Magicians is interesting. We're going to get to that in a sec. On your rentals, are you doing Airbnbs or long-term? No, I we wrapped them. We just sold one of them that we lease optioned. We have two more. Because I was going heavy before COVID in creative finance and then – COVID hit and I was like well why the hell would you sell me a house that's appreciating at like 
20% a year. You know, like I saw no need for them to do sub two in my, and like I couldn't sell it. I was like, bro, just fucking list it or give me, I'll give you cash. But it, sub two it has to be a crazy situation. Um, and so then we didn't really do that. And that time took off with like, I really leaned into call magicians and building that out. And then, so yeah, so that was that. But now, so my partner in that, with our rentals, he has 60 Airbnbs between arbitrage and owning. And so we just turned on some marketing to buy stuff and be in A-class areas with a pool, especially here in Fresno. And that, that'll that be what we do. Besides that, I'll only do storage or Airbnb because our traditional rentals are the worst thing from God. I hate them. Are you managing them? Yeah. I mean, but... You you gotta hit fact. a certain you gotta hit a certain scale in order for it to make sense, right? So like, yeah. If I was committed and I was going on a buying spree, and if I was like, Alan, Alan buys one a house a day. Number one, when you're buying one a day, you now have enough money coming in for infrastructure, right? To where when you're buying single family homes, it doesn't make sense until you're like thirty doors. Like before that, you're really just eating shit, in my opinion. Like you, you got to build up enough to where the cash flow like means something. Cause like that $300 a door is not very meaningful to me to where I can do a lot of other things that'll bring me that type of passive income toward now real estate for more real estate now is more depreciation. Right. And then I get the cash flow on top of it, which is awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I like it. I like to buy and hold side cause of the, uh, I do it for a different reason. I don't need the cash flow. I just buy properties to push like the money in the future. You know, I take the money I earn and push it in there. Cause I don't, I was talking to my buddy, Dustin, that's uh investor. He's like, he's like, yeah, you invest different though. He's like, you, I don't, you don't need any of the money. Yeah. Like if, if a wholesaler or flippers, they're living on that. They need to, the, they need the margins. I can never pay for stuff, you know? Exactly. And that was the other thing. But now that we have, I'd say we're decent at marketing, getting direct to seller. And then I have free marketing to get to it. I'm not as worried about, oh, we need to take down this wholesale deal. Like we need to sell this just to pay the overhead and then keep going. Now it's like, okay, it's here. We have a little wholesale section that can run and it's not that big of a deal if we keep one. Yeah. Okay. So call magicians. How'd you get involved with that? Call magicians. So when I was. How'd you come up with a name first? I don't know. I think we just brainstormed. Yeah. Yeah, we just like brainstormed. Like, what should we call this? Like, at first, I think we had like VA Warehouse. I still own that URL. Yeah. Um, and then I own probably like 50 different URLs of like different VA company names. Gotcha. Um, and so, and then, like, yeah, call magicians. We, I don't even know where it came from. My partner and I just kind of thought about it. It's a cool name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, where do we get started? So, when I got done working with Alan, I went to a Steve Trang's first conference. And I met a guy and then me and him went to a Raphael Vargas event. And then I went to, he hosted his own event there in Houston. And then he started up a call center and I was using him. And then another guy wanted to JD with me. So he was going to give me cash to market and he got access to certain zip codes. And I was like, okay, awesome. And um, I closed one deal with the guy's call center. And then, okay, I'm going to start giving you some decent money. For me at the time, I was like, okay, we'll give you. He's like, all right, it's six grand up front for the month. I was like, I need X amount of callers. He's like, all right, six grand. And then essentially, I didn't get a single lead, and he just walked away with my money. And so I was like, what? I, I was furious. I thought I knew the guy. I went out to lunch with him. Like, I went to dinner with him multiple times and spent 
hours and hours with him and his wife and he walked away with my money. And so then I had to front the guy who gave me the money for the JB marketing. I fronted his money for the next month because I wasn't just going to let him go down dirty. Right. And so I do all that. And then I'm looking for other VA companies. I go to one, I go to another one, one of them, they just couldn't service me. I go to another one where like eight callers. I'm like, all right, I need to add like four more or whatever. He gives me four more. They sound like they're in the middle of the fucking jungle. I was like, bro, I can't be paying you this much money. And <laughs> you give me these type of results. I'm out. And so I just brought everything back in house. And then at that point, all of my company was running and we were doing like a couple deals a month with only virtual assistants. Like where I had a leads manager in place. I had our callers and our textures going. And then I didn't even have an acquisitions guy. Like they just send me the leads and I just close them right to where they'd only be qualified because it came through my leads manager. And so like I had that going and then a bunch of people were like approaching me about VAs. I was like, Oh yeah. So I can, oh, yeah, I'll help you here. I'll help you here. And then it came to a point where I got a lot of people doing it. I was like, Oh, I could probably like make like a couple grand a month doing this. So I could be whatever. And I was like, but I, I need an operator. And so I knew a guy, uh, my partner now I was like, Hey bro, you want to like start this with me? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we started it and then it's turned into a whole nother animal in and of itself that makes a little bit more than a couple grand a month. That's cool. Yeah, there's a big need for it too because everyone, the buzzword in real estate investors is always, hey, you need a VA. You need a VA to do this. You need a VA to do that. And I talked to a lot of guys. A lot of these guys don't understand tech or anything and then they're trying to work with somebody over in the Philippines for three bucks an hour or something. It's like, dude. But but everyone's everyone's talking about that. But like with what you're doing, you guys actually structure it and train these people so you, they don't have to deal with any of the uh, BS stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, we're, I've talked to you about it before. We're pretty thorough. I, I believe yeah. I don't know anyone else who really does the same type of training that we do as far as making sure these people are ready to go and it's as hands-off for the client as possible. Yeah. What are some things you see, like if people are looking for to work with overseas people, what are some mistakes you see that people make? Um, number one, they don't pay them enough. Number two, they don't end up paying them at all. Number three, they give them too many tasks to do. Just give, I mean, a lot of people have never had a business and had to have employees before. And so they just kind of give them one thing. And to where, like, I remember when I first got started on my own, I hired on my cold callers. And I just hired on some people who said they were good at cold calling. Like, have you done it before? They're like, yeah. And then, like, two weeks, $700 later, I was like, hey, where the fuck are my leads, dude? Like, I didn't have any leads, but then, like, I didn't train them. I wasn't monitoring them. I wasn't doing anything, like, right? I was like, oh, I got cold callers now. And so with that, I was like, oh. So now when people bring people on, they need to have, like, a clear training structure to get them up and running. Hey, here's our tasks. Here's our KPIs. Here's what needs to be done. Here's what your day looks like. Sign in to hub staff. Like, have a legit onboarding process. And then I'd say have a relationship with the people would be another thing. I mean, there's so many things that people do wrong, dude. But you'd be amazed at how many people don't pay their people. And like, they just kind of like fall off. Like we have a higher retention rate than other people because we pay our people on time and we pay them good wages. To where like, you would be amazed at all the stories that we hear of people, like people in the Philippines who stick with someone for like a month and a half because they keep saying their pay is coming and they never get paid. That's so crappy too, because they're, they're working for like eight bucks an hour. Like it's not even yeah, expensive. I mean, it's it's still good money on their end. I'm not going to lie. Like the $4 an oh, yeah. hour, they, like it's still good money for them. But then it's still like, bro, you can't just like pay your guy. Like, yeah, that, that's what I mean crazy. from the investor side, whoever's stiffing them. It's like, dude, 
it's not a lot of money. Why are you going to stiff this guy when he's you're better off than they are? Well, not necessarily better off because their cost of living less. What's the average income in Philippines? Is that like twenty grand a year? Oh, that's way too much. I mean, bro, if you make a dollar a day over there, like you're doing good. Yeah. In some places. Yeah, I've noticed. Like, like we work with a lot of overseas people. Like, you pay someone ten bucks an hour, you get a really high quality person. Oh, bro. That wants to work with you, and it's they're, they're super smart. Oh yeah, I mean, I'll, you'd be amazed at the amount of people internally with us who have like bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. Like they're yeah. insanely smart. Like it's yeah. not just Joe Schmo, essentially. You're getting really talented people. Yeah, and that's what I saw too. Like you're talking about with the training and everything. People trying to do it on their own. Number one, training people is hard. Like you need to know what you're doing, and you need to organize their schedule. So it's it's like unless you want to spend time and actually figure that out, like people can just come to you and you handle that stuff for them, right? Yeah, when you you got to invest time into them, right? Because if they come from somewhere else, they have inherently bad habits of some other shitty real estate investor who didn't let them, who didn't train them either. And then they're just on the phone kind of doing their own thing to where in all reality, I mean, we train all of our people two times a day. We listen to all of their phone calls. Like we're on them about grammar punctuation, energy. Like you need to be on top of them if they're going to be in front of people and bringing in money. Cause like it is, it could just be a little bit at the beginning that they said this wrong. Hey, let's tweak that. And then that could have been a lead, whatever it is. But then you got to listen to all their calls, dude. Like, we got to listen to everyone who wants an offer. We got to listen to the longest not interested. We got to listen to the wrong numbers. Are they still asking the right thing? Like, just listening to the calls and doing QA takes time. And then we still have to role play with them. Like, you have to do all these things, and that's only in the cold calling side, right? And so, like, you got to do a bunch of stuff to get them up and ready. And that's just ongoing, let alone, okay, here's our onboarding process. Here's what we need to do. Here's what it looks like. Here's what our product is that we're selling or whatever our service. This is what we're doing as a company. Yeah, that's time intense too. And, and especially like even me, I'm not, I'm not the best manager, we'll say, but working with people like different things like that, even, even just learning that skill to find out how to train someone too and what to ask, what to know. It, it's just it's super time intense. Who wants to listen to a 30-minute call? When the person you know they're not interested, just to just to see to help this person hopefully do better and learn, right? Or to be like, hey, bro, you should have never been on this call in the first place. Like, why are you talking to this guy, right? But then like you got to hash it out and like help them learn from it and all that other stuff, right? Yeah. So, um, how long you been doing the call magicians? Like two years. Two years. How fast you're growing? You're growing pretty quick, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, we hit seven figures in the first year. Nice. What do you What do you think took you there? Like, what What do you attribute that to? Having a really good product, um, good affiliate relationships too. Because anybody who is an affiliate of ours, they get one hundred and fifty dollars ongoing per VA. So I mean, we, we pay out. Yeah, I mean, we pay out almost five figures to some people a month. That's pretty solid. Um, yeah, like in affiliate checks. How do you hook up with all the affiliates? Um, same same way I met you. Yeah, just going to events? Yeah, going to events. And, I mean, we make it a concerted effort to contact gurus or even, bro, clients. Like yeah. our clients are affiliates too, and so then either they can take a credit on their bill or they can get it in cash, like whatever it is. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because affiliates, it's a big thing because you get a relationship with someone and you can, especially like gurus, things like that, you can help all their students. Makes them look good because they're able to, say someone's trying to teach someone how to get how to get deals, you can get the motivated sellers. It works out. It's a win-win. Well, you, they get motivated sellers. They get a quality company that they're dealing with. And then it's less of a learning curve for that person to go do something. I mean, because if you think about, if you really break down, if you're going into like a wholesaling business, there's a lot of like pieces that you are managing at the beginning. And it's just kind of, it's the life of an entrepreneur, right? We're just running around with their head cut off, making sure shit gets done. Or if you could take that time off your off of your plate and you're just talking to more motivated sellers, that's a lot. And you don't have to worry about the training and everything else. And I, I will say for some people, and I've told some people, like if they're newer, generally we don't want to work with them because they may not have the budget. And then I would say, if you can get good at leading your cold call team and leading a virtual team, then it'll be easier when you have to build out your sales team, right? Like it's still a skill that you're developing that is going to help you over time. And then when you're like, hey, I am way too bogged down with time. I need to outsource this. Then we can talk, right? But then, like, so, and like, just as far as like business person to business person, that skill set has served me very well to where if you're newer, I'd say that skill set's going to help you out a lot overall if you stick in wholesaling or not. You're going to need to know that skill if you want to be successful in business. Yeah. Now, now the people working with you, like dealing, dealing with, say they have someone calling from the Philippines. Where, where are all your people? Are they all Philippines or all over? We're in seven different countries. Okay. So, so say, say they're working with someone overseas. How does that relationship work? Like, are they having meetings with this person daily and things like that? Are you pretty much handling it and you report back to the investor or how's that relationship? Yeah. So for our cold callers, all you're doing is you have a mandatory weekly meeting with us. And we say like, Hey, you need to show up to tell us if you're unhappy, if you're implementing anything new, What's going on? What are you doing in your business? What you need help with? Right. And so for the cold callers, they don't do anything. Like they will not have any interaction with the person because we have that so streamlined. It runs essentially like a call center on that end. And so like, you shouldn't have to. You're paying us so you can have all that time back. And then for the lead managers, you'll have a meeting with them once a month. Well, sorry, once a week. And that's so they can get to know your company culture and everything else. But then we're still we're on those people and training them as well. If it's administrative at the beginning, right, we're going to have to get all your documents and everything else and SOPs so we can train that person up on it. But at that point, it's not a whole lot of interaction. Like we want to make it so all you're doing is, all right, I'm setting it. Here's the process. Here's the system. Set it and forget it. I'm good to go. Now that part of my business is taken care of. Yeah. So, so you're saying you can, you can help multiple ways too because you're talking about, like I think a lot of people think, hey, I need ABA to do cold calling and lead management. You guys, you guys have specific people. One person might do cold calling and prospecting. A second person, once someone's interested, turn, that gets passed to the lead manager, right? Oh, yeah. And it's like, bro, our, my best third-party story is one of our clients. Our cold callers generated the lead. Our leads manager talked to the lead, negotiated the terms on a nine-unit owner finance department complex deal, sent it to our client. Our client was like, yeah, all right, locked it up. All he had to do was work it for 30 minutes. Then he assigned it for $200,000, right? And so like, that's what we want. That is a ideal story for one of our clients. Like to actually, that's like, that's a banger, bro. I'm not going to lie. Like I am very, very proud of that moment. That's, that's all. It's, it's huge. And, and the thing is, it's like you have the right, right people working in the right places. 
right people trained right. Like all of our leads managers go through Chris Boss, Steve Drang, Max Jimenez. We put them through a ton of pace stuff. Like they know creative financing terms, they know real estate terms, they know really good pain. Um, we want them to have an actual conversation with someone. Obviously, if it's a long conversation, that needs to turn into an appointment. But they're having real conversations with people and being able to push those forward. So who who's cold calling like like your service? Who's your ideal audience? Um, like, like as far as our you, clients? Yeah, your your clients. Like who are you a good fit for and who's not a good fit? Generally you gotta be doing at least a deal a month in order for it to make sense cash flow wise. Um if you're at the beginning, I mean we'll help you find a VA. Like we have a VA finding service that we offer. But we'll do that, but essentially when we've worked with people who aren't necessary, who don't have at least a deal a month, the cash flow is too tight, and then your your deal flow isn't there to even support that. Essentially, like you, you should at that point in time, you should be hiring on your own people, training and managing yourself, and then when we have the time crunch where we can't handle it anymore, do that. And like how you said on my podcast, you either have time or you have money. When you're new, you have more time, but you generally don't have a whole lot of money. Now, so so you can do multiple things too with with calling. So you can prospect cold, just download lists and whatever, go out that way. I'm interested too. So like with the digital marketing, speed's very important, right? A lot of these investors, I'll talk to investors, and some will be like, hey, you know what, the leads suck. Like, well, how fast do you call? And like, like tell me your process. Like, I call everyone on Friday. It's like, dude, that doesn't work. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no. people, I know. And some people just don't know, but like services like that you offer too are different things. People can plug into multiple channels. Like say they got people coming on our website, they come in, you can have the lead manager call, right? In yeah. real time and get that information. So the investor doesn't have to drop what he's doing at dinner time with his family and pick up the phone and call. Exactly. So what we won't do it as far as out of work hours. And the reason that is you can't expect that person to be 100% dedicated to your business for 24 hours a day, unless there's a solid incentive plan in place. But like, let's say if you have a VA who's a really good leads manager and they're tied into your system and they get alerted when new leads come over and they're out like, Hey, so this new lead came in, you got five minutes or else I'm calling it. And then you incentivize them just like one of your sales reps. If this gets um, turned over and we make some money on it, then you get extra profit. But it's a certain way. And so we've had a couple people come to us, right? It's like, hey, can you do an answering service for us? And I was like, no, we don't do an answering service just because I'd have to build out a lot more. And I'd have to do, I'd have to market enough in order for that to like actually make me money. Because if I'm doing an answering service, I'm paying for four people to be on the phones all day long. Right. And so that's technically eight. Um, but if you were going to do that, what we've said is it needs to be an incentivized plan. If one of those leads come in, they get paid more for handling that lead. If you have leads coming in directly, and I don't even own this company, a company called Call Porter or like Pat Live would be a good one for like those random hours. I don't know who you guys suggest. Yeah, I um, use um, Voice Nation. Right, and I've never even heard of them, but I bet you they're great. To where it's a company who can take those calls that are coming from your website, whatever. Um, shit, maybe I should just create a company around that. Or build a product around that. Yeah, I know. Call Porter's. I think they charge like two fifty or five hundred a month. Mine's pretty cheap. It's like one fifty. I use it just when people call the number on our website. It's an answering service. They book an appointment for us. 
Like they ask him a couple questions and then we literally give him our calendar link. Oh, that's book nice. the appointment. Yeah. You notice everything we do is calendar. Like book an appointment or we don't talk to you. Exactly. Which I guess even on your side too, if, if you got people in hours, you can just set a trigger up. If after hours, send a, send the lead a text message in hours, one of the lead managers calls and then they'll call yeah. the next day. Otherwise. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm on your end though to where I think that person needs to be talked to as soon as humanly possible. Yeah. Like I'm not even comfortable with the, like the appointment side. Like I feel like you should get on the phone with them somehow, sir. Like if we're going to pay money for this, right? We both know if they don't talk to us, they're talking to someone else. Even with our cold call leads, if someone doesn't get to them within a day, bro, it's dead. Yeah. Like it's so hard to get them back on the phone. Yeah. A hundred percent. What do you, what do you recommend incentivizing people? Like, so it's like, hey, we locked down a deal. Like, what is a good value and a bonus? I mean, for your callers, bro, if you give them 200 bucks, I mean, that's a third of their salary for the month. So that's like, that's a solid one. For leads managers, 250 to 500, just depending. Yeah, okay. And again, it depends on your deal size. If you're in like middle of nowhere and you're doing $5,000 deals, that $500 is a lot of money in that deal. So maybe you lower it a little bit. Right. You guys do a lot of texting? We do some texting. Um, we've been doing it for clients. I was sending out a ton of text messages at a point in time here in California, and then Roar kind of got slapped at that AT&T thing. And mm-hmm. so we slowed down. But now we are, we're texting still on launch, So and we're handling that for a few people. If you guys do do it, it'd have to be through launch, batch, Roar, if you have your own Roar system built out, we'll tap into it. And then um, Prospector Web would be another one we'd, that we'd work with. But we only have certain platforms that we'll even tap in just because we know the process works, right? So, like, we're not going to tap into your process if we've already tried it and we know it doesn't work. You're like, oh, this works. I'm like, well, all of our clients who do this get better results, so we would prefer we use this other thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um. You do a pretty good job building teams overseas too. Like even your team, how do you go, how did you go about building a team and finding the right people using, because a lot of, a lot of people on your team are overseas also, right? Everyone. Yeah. Everyone is overseas. Like our COO, our trainer, everybody is from Mexico, Mexico, Belize, Philippines, Egypt is in our upper management. Yeah, how'd, how'd you build it out? Like, how'd you do that successfully without just keep getting burned and hiring the wrong people? Oh, I mean, you're going to hire the wrong people for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're always hiring the wrong people. You just don't know when, right? I mean, eventually they're going to they're gonna show you what they really are. You're never going to avoid hiring the wrong people. The way we did it is I'm a really big empowerer to where I, whenever I'm hiring on someone, I tell them that they're here to build because we're a startup. And so if we're a startup and we're here to build, I don't want you coming to me with stupid questions. Like I know like there's no such thing as a stupid question, but if you're going to give me your shit to handle and go figure out, then why did I hire you? Like I'm hiring you because I think you're intelligent and you can build systems with us. And so that is kind of the mentality that I've, I have with all of my, let's say, upper hires as far as like an operate, operations manager or department head to where we're building and working at the same time. And that is the way it's going to be. And so that way you're kind of casting that vision for them of this is what we do and this is what it looks like. And then everybody has that true mentality of like, okay, so here's what I'm doing. 
here's my rock. Here's what I need to build out. I ran, I tried everything. I do not know what to do. All right, bring it to the level 10 huddle in the morning and then we'll talk about it. And if we need to have another meeting, we'll do it that way. But then that way the entire team can weigh in on it. The entire team knows what the goal is to accomplish. The entire team knows everything. And so that's been the biggest thing, right, is implementing those rocks again as far as, hey, Nizreen, you need to work on, we need to really revamp our uh, customer support. We really need to revamp our client relations and our onboarding, uh, specifically the type of gifts that we're getting people. Um, go handle that. That's your rock, right? And so that, then they're handling that, and then they feel like they're actually a part of the company, and then the company's theirs too because now they have a lot of ownership in it. And so it's been a mixture of, finding people and sometimes you just look out and I'm still learning, but I have started asking people what is, uh, like we talked about in your podcast, like what's the last project you had to spearhead and actually build out in the last company you were at. Right. And I want to know like what, what it was, what roadblocks did they encounter? What did they learn from that? And if they haven't necessarily done that before, they're probably not the best fit for me because if they're working directly with me necessarily, like it's only building. Right, like we're building and still working, and if it's someone who needs like a bunch of guidance, then they're they're just not a good fit for at least my company culture and what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I see a lot of people like hiring is hard in the U.S. when you can sit mm-hmm. down at a table and hire someone, let alone overseas. It's a lot, it's a lot different. Yeah, and I mean, you, you're going to go through bad people, dude. We we fire a lot of people, and it's like it's a sports team. It is not a family. And I've picked, I don't know where I picked that up from, but it's a sports organization. Everybody's in. If you suck, we are not a big enough company for you to suck and have us perform badly. Every client means something. Every client's giving us a lot of money to perform for them. So if you suck at your job, it is nothing personal, but we need to get someone who can actually do that job very well. Because like, our goal is to help all of our clients make money and to make money at the same time. And so if you can't help us reach that goal, it's nothing personal, but we got to get someone else in there. Yeah, it makes sense. That's a good analogy. I like it. Hey, if, if anyone wants to reach out to you, like, what's the best way? Anybody wants to reach out to me, um, Comedicians is just comedicians.com. You can go on our website, set up a call, and you'll probably speak to Glenna or myself. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram is at StratDaddy. And then you can add me on Facebook as well. Cool, man. Anything we uh, missed we should have been talking about? Oh, oh I, got a ma- I got a mastermind event coming up November yeah. 10th and 11th. Where at? Fresno, California. We have my good friend Ian Horowitz coming out to speak, and he is approaching a million square feet in self-storage, and he just left the fire department at the beginning of the year. So we did all of that. A million feet, in, uh, close to a million feet in self-storage, 200 rentals all while being a full-time firefighter, which is insanely impressive. And then my other good friend, Derek, a couple will be coming out and talking about buying houses through social media. He's buying like three houses a month through um, his Instagram. And so they'll be speaking over those two days. And we got a bunch of other really heavy hitters in that mastermind. And then we'll cap off the week. Uh, Me and some friends are flying out, Pace and Jamil, to our big event. I need to speak to you about sponsoring that, actually. Um, We're going to try and get 1,000 people there for Pace and Jamil event. And then we'll have Henry Washington, the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, speaking as well. And then another guy named Dion. Dion started off negative $80,000. And then now, as a single father of three, 
and then now he has 14 free and clear homes. And nice. it's just You said that's what, great. November what? That's November 10th through 12th. Okay, if anyone's interested, where do they where do they check that out? Um, reach out to me on Instagram would be the best thing, at Strat Daddy or on Facebook. And I'm, I'm starting to give out my phone number more on podcasts because I just want more opportunities. My cell phone number is 801-860-8032. You're a crazy man. I, I got two phones, bro. I'm fine. Okay. I got I got two phones, right? I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? True, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So everyone, hey, we'll have everything in the show notes too. Phone number, uh, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, reach out. Hey, Strat, what's your uh, number one book? It depends on what we're trying to accomplish. Number one, just number one. Probably Think and Grow Rich. Okay, I like Think and Grow Rich. You ever read um, Richest Man in Babylon? Richest Man in Babylon. Actually, Outwitting the Devil. Outwitting the Devil's Okay, that one was good too. Um, I read Richest, I actually read Richest Man in Babylon last week again. Um, okay. Yeah, Napoleon Hill. He, yeah, good books there. And then if you really want to grow your company, I think Scaling Up by Vern Harnish is an amazing book. Nice. All right, cool, man. Hey, well, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, bro. All right, brother. Hey, we'll talk soon. Everyone listening, go out there, crush it, and close some deals. Till next time. Mm-hmm.